The Azashir is one of the ten major shirim, one of the major songs that are that were sung in the history of Klal Yisrael. There are many shirim that we sing to say there, but there are ten historical ones that are brought in the Targum at the beginning of Shir Hashirim. If you look in the Targum, he brings those ten and the question is, what is a shira? When we speak about the shira sayam, when we speak about shira devar, when we speak about all of the shiras that we uh, that we know of, what exactly is a shira? Is it a poem? Is it a song? What is the purpose of it? When does it come? And what does it do for us? There's basically two purposes of a shira, and they really converge as one. A shira, in a perfect sense, as Al Yashir is, is a spontaneous reaction to a moment of divine revelation and joy. When Klai Yisrael were able to see the Rebbein Yisrael Kaviyachel Alayam Bayiroim Es Hashem Bayamina Bayashem Emelisha Avdai, there was a moment of clarity. All of the stakers that Klai Yisrael may have had about the Golas, about if there would be a Geula, about the Yad Hashem, about Ashkel Kaprapius, all of those things suddenly melded into one perfect, harmonious comprehension that in fact there's a Rabbi in the world and they were able to feel the Rabbi they were able to sense the Rabbi presence they were able to see through the Isis and Maisim the manifestation of the Yad and at that moment they were stirred to an emotional response of Shira. That's a fundamental yisai, that shira is a reaction. It's a reaction to being able to sense the Rabbi In the words of Rabbi Aaron Kotler, shira meveya mitayach simcha v'gam hisroimimus ha-nefesh when a soul has a hisroimimus, when it feels uplifted, when it feels a moment of euphoric joy in the realization that I sense the Rabbi Shalom in my presence, at that moment the Nefesh is stirred deeply to sing the Shira of the Rabbi Shalom. And a second the Kuda about Shira is it's not only a spontaneous reaction to the Adashem and to the Hashkacha, Pratias of the Rabbi Shalom, and to the Shechina, the Ashrasa Shechina, but it's a way of continuing it. And it's a way for a person to be able to hold on to that moment of divine inspiration, and to continue and to grow spiritually with that flow of Ruach HaKadosh within the Gemara says that sometimes when David Amelech 
wanted to get into the mode of singing shira, of composing his beautiful tehillim, sometimes he would have the kinar. And that kinar would inspire him to a higher level of ruchnis. Sometimes he would already have a moment of Baruch HaKadosh, and that would lead him to singing shira. So shira is both. Shira is a, a reaction to inspiration, to divinity, and it's also a way of, of inspiring ourselves to get into that moment. When we hear a shira, sometimes that moves us and it makes us feel the Rabbi Shalom. It's not only a reaction to the Rabbi Shalom, but it enables us to actually feel him and to be moved to grow higher spiritually. When the Menagin sings, sometimes we're able to be moved through Shira to understand and to appreciate and to realize the Rabbi Nishan. That's sort of what Shira is in a nutshell. It's both. There's two dinam in Shira. It's a reaction and it also is an enabler of being master of the Shekhinah within. And this is what Kali Yisrael had on Yom. They saw the nace. Oz Yashir Moshe. Then, as Rashi says, Allah believed by Shira. They were inspired to sing Shira when they saw the Arashem. And the Shira itself enabled them to go higher and higher in their Hasagis of Ruchnius. I had a Rebbe, I think I've told this over to you many times, I had a Rebbe in 7th and 8th grade who was a very big Adam Gadol. I wasn't left back. I, it was, I, uh, I, I, they actually had a Rebbe. They kept him for both 7th and 8th grade because he was such a good Rebbe. And the, the elementary school that I went to was sort of a, uh, uh, you know, I guess it was a from modern orthodox elementary school. And the bar mitzvahs of the boys in my class in seventh grade were, you know, depending on the background of the boy, very, very mixed. Sometimes they were from her, and sometimes they're really, really not from. And, uh, you know, the not from ones had mixed dancing, and there was rock music or disco or whatever it was at the time. And uh, it was a scene. It was, uh, you know, it was something that, you know, some guys stayed for, some guys felt uncomfortable and, and still stayed, and some people left. Anyway, one time I, I was, I, I, I left, I don't think I was, I was leaving, I was nervous. I just probably had to, you know, go out of the hall for whatever reason. And my Rebbe pulls me, he also left, but when he left, he left because he was making a macha. And he calls me over and he said to me, you know that I make machais a lot by these bar mitzvahs, that I'm not happy with the fact that there's this geisha music, certainly not happy with the mixed dancing, but I'll tell you why it's so important to me, why I take it so personally when I hear, and I'm so, it's so detestable, when I hear geisha music. Why is it so, what's the big deal? So is geisha music such a terrible thing? So he said something that he heard from Rebutner. He was a close comment of Rebutner. And he said like this. There's only two things in the world that are able 
to be felt even though they can't be felt. Which means you can feel something, bechush, even though they're not tangible. And these are things that are able to move in a shama so, even though you can't put your finger on it. The Rabbi you feel the Rabbi you feel the Shechina, at least once in a while we do, at moments of heightened awareness, and it moves us, the Rabbi Shechina moves us, and we feel it deeply even though we can't see the Rabbi and music. Music is something that is able to so shape our emotions. If you hear a beautiful song, it can make you happy, it can make you sad, it can move you in different directions, and you can't touch it. And so what music is, what she is, it's a Dover Shabbatusha. In fact, there's a famous Vartman Chaim on this week's parsha that the reason why the women... It says, when the women sang Shira, Tzatan Rahem Miriam, Miriam answered to the Shira of the men, it's because Shira says the kind of the Dabr Shabbatusha, it's one of those things like Kaddish and Kedusha and different things you need a minion for, because it's a Dabr Shabbatusha, and women, they can be mitzvahed to men, but they can't make their own Dabr Shabbatusha. That you need a minion of Asara Gedailah. Shira is something that's so holy, and so sacred because it's so similar to the Rabbi Shalom, and it could bring us closer to the Rabbi Shalom. And the Rabbi Shalom made this vehicle called Shira in the world in order to inspire us to get closer to Him. So when a person takes this kayak of music, this Dabrish of called Shira, and abuses it, and twists and turns it, and makes it into something that's crossed, something that's completely distasteful. It's not just sound like anything else that Goyim take and they, and they abuse and everybody's fine with it. It's something that it's mamish ki'ilu, like you're taking the rabbinish on himself and, and distorting the shechina kabiyachal. That's what it means when you take Gaiyashim music. What's so bad about Gaiyashim music? I enjoy Gaiyashim music. I like the beat. I like the sound. I like the music. I, I like the, the, it's, it's talent. It's, it's enjoyable. I appreciate it. What's wrong? Everybody wants, what's so bad about Gaiyashim music? It's good. It keeps me going. I jog with it. The problem with Gaiyashim music is very simple because music is a double shabakusha. And just like you wouldn't, Countenance if Goyim would take a safer tire and use it for their purposes, that's Ki'ilo, what they do when they take music and they put words to it that are inappropriate. What they're doing is it's mamish, it's a ziyaf in the recognition of the Rebbe That's what it is, because music is such a high thing. It's such a davrash of the that we can't, a Yiddish nefesh, which is supposed to be sensitive to these things and it's supposed to be moved and inspired when it's done right, must find Gaiyash music to be something that is so grossly inappropriate for us. Gaiyim, they can do whatever they want, but for a Jewish neshama to be able to sit and enjoy and dance to something which is not Jewish, and it's quite the opposite, is a zeal. 
in this Kayach called Shira. Shira is not Stam. It's not something that we have license to abuse. It's something so holy that it must be maintained as it's something distinctly Jewish. Even Jewish music is sometimes Gaiish, but that's a whole different discussion. But Gaiish music is certainly Gaiish music. Whether Jewish music is Jewish or not is a, is a debate. But whether Gaiish music is Gaiish music, that's not debatable. That's something which is clear. It's awesome. Now, when Klai Yisrael were Zeichel Ayam, to this Hasada of Shira, to this elevated moment in history, that they were able to see clearly the Yad Hashem, and they were able to be brought to, the, to this level of inspiration that they sung Shira, and the Shira in turn brought them higher and higher. They said something. In the Shira, they said, Aziv is which is exactly what we're saying. Her Bainisham is our Zemer. Rashi has a different shot after the normal shot, after the the, the, the shot, he says a completely different shot. But the way that regular, the way that we regularly touch Azibas and Maskar is, Hakadishparfu is my strength and he's my song. Which means that he's my song. The Rabbanisham and song is sort of equal. The Rabbanisham is my song, he's what uplifts me. He's what inspires me. And the song inspires me to understand and appreciate the Rabbi Nishlam that much more. And when I appreciate the Rabbi Nishlam that much more, I'm, I'm led to sing Shira on a higher level. And then it says, This is my God. This is my Kaili. And I will glorify him. But the uncle is it a little differently and Rashi brings it <coughs> that this is my Rabbi Shalom the Andeyu. The Veyu is a lotion of Nave. Nave is in a boat. I will build him a base on Mikdash. Yom said that we pledge now to build the Rabbi Shalom a place that he can be master of Shrina. Because he's my son, I want to build him based on Mikdash. Why? What is, what's the cashier over here? And I believe the chat is because when a person has this moment of his rashis on Ephesh, this is Philos on Ephesh, and he's singing Shira, and I don't want to let that moment dissipate. I want to be able to have that Akara that there's a Rabbanishlam in the world. I want to feel that Ashras Ashrina at all times. I have to build the Beis HaMikdash because the Beis HaMikdash is a mother for the Shrina. It's a place that you could go in, you could feel Ashras Ashrina, and the Frat, the Makim HaMikdash, is a place of Shira. It's a place that there was always music being played. We just learned the Gemara in Erechen and the Daf, Daf Yud, Yud Aleph, there's a whole sugya about the Shira of Vodim. Vodim sang Shira on the Dukhan, as we know. And there was a minimum amount of shira of Levian that needed to be on the Dukhan singing, 12. And then there was a certain amount of, of harps and lyres, L-Y-R-E, and there had to be symbol, one symbol, and there was a limitless number of certain instruments. And the Mishnah says even that sometimes little children, little Levian, would come and join their tatis singing on, they weren't allowed to stand on the duchen, but they were standing beneath the duchen. 
and they were called Tsayare Alavim. They were either Tsayare Alavim as the Pashra text, but Tsayare Alavim because they, they pained the elf, the adult Levian who were singing. It was so painful that these little kids were outdoing them. They had such beautiful voices that it was hard to compete against them. They were Mitzayar and the Levian. It was a Makam of Shrina. It was a Makam of Shira. The Shira had to be in the Beis HaMikdash by the Levian every single day. There was a Shir Shalyan that was sung over the Parvet Hamid again because this is the mood, this is the atmosphere of Hashras HaShina needs Shira. And the Shira itself is one which lends itself to being Margish more Bechush than Hashras HaShina. It's interesting, there's an Abu Dram. The Abu Dram is, in, is one of the Rishayim on Siddur. It's one of the classical Perushim, perhaps one of the earliest Perushim on Siddur that we have, and it's very, very, it's, it's a very important Sefer. You should definitely own it, and you should definitely use it. It's a Chavshavah Sefer. It goes through every one of the Tzfilos and explains exactly what it's talking about. Anyway, the Abu Dram says, when you, if you look in the section on Shir Shalyayim, he says a simon. Of the Shir Shayam, you want to remember, you know, sometimes you can't remember what day is Yayim Revi, what, what Shira do we sing today, what did the Levian sing that day? So he gives us a simon to remember what the day of, what the Shir Shayams were from Sunday to Friday. Sunday is Lashem Aratzimlaya, Monday is Mizmar, um, Mizmar Shilvnei Kairach. And then we have Tuesdays, Shir Mishmar Vekayach, and then we have Tuesdays, Mishmar Laasov. Anyway, the Abu Dram says, if you look at the Rashi Kavis of all these Kapitol Tehillim, these six Kapitol Tehillim from Sunday to Friday, it spells out Lashem Eli. Lamed Shin Mem, Aleph Lamed Yud, Yud is Hashem Malach Yerislamish, as we said today. Lashem Eli. Now, why is this? Is it Samaremez? I believe that this is going back to Eli Van Meir. The whole reason why Klai Yisrael said that we're going to build the Mesa Mikdash is because they saw Zek Eli, they saw the Rabbi they were able to be married for Chush, and they said, therefore, we're going to build the Mesa Mikdash in order to perpetuate this feeling and this Shira. And you know how they perpetuated it? Through Lashem Eli. By continuing this concept of going and being able to say, we are doing our Abayda for this Zekhilin and Meil. The whole topless of the Mikdash was to sing Shira and to be Margish that there's a Rabbanishayim that pervades every single inch of the Makma Mikdash. And that was brought about through Shira. I want to bring this a little close to home. So far, we've uh, we've explained what Shira is. We've explained what the Mikdash is. The Mikdash is also a place of Shira. It's a place where we're able to be Margish, the Shina, the Ashrasa Shina is able to be felt, the Chush, in a very real way. All of our emotions are are set in a certain way through the Shira. The Shira is able to induce a reaction of being Margaret Shlur Banishlaylam, we're able to get higher through the Shira Salavian. But it's Nagaya even Bismanazah. This is not something that went away with the Khurum Mesamikdash. It's something, believe it or not, that we still have Bismanazah. There's a Gemara in Brachis. 
The Gemara in Brachas says, "Ain't feel shaladam nishmas el bevesak nesses." Davening is not really heard except in shul, which means that the primary, the optimal place to daven is in a besak nesses or in a base medrash. And the Gemara brings a pasuk, "Shenema lishmaya el arina ve'al you're supposed to come to hear the rena, the song, and the tefillah, and the prayer. And the Gemara says, rena, In a place of song, in a place of rena, i.e. the Beisach Knesset, that's where your tefillah should be. Rashi says that Ramakim rena, the Beisach Knesset, Shesham Aynim Hatsibor, Shirais, Visishvachis, Vineimais Karashir, a shul is a place that we're able to sing with a beautiful voice, with beautiful songs, all of the shirahs and sushvachis. It's a makim of rina. And because it's a makim of rina, that's where there's ashras ashrina. And that's where the tefillah is, and that's where the tefillah can be heard. Where would you want to go? You know, they, they once asked a, a bank robber, why you rob banks? A famous bank robber back in the olden days. Why you rob banks? So he says, Pasha, that's where the money is. That's where the money Where should I rob? I go to banks because that's where the money is. He, he understood it to mean some why banks opposed to other places. He didn't understand that it meant in general why you rob banks. But he says, that's where the money is. Why do you dive in Shul? Why do you dive? Because that's where the spina is. You go to Shul not because it's a place there are Rishonim, by the way, that says that's it's a place that was nikvah for Davni, or Benyena says that. But in general, the Me'iri and others say that the reason is, the reason that we Davni in Shul is because that's where the Kavana Saleh is Motsali, that's where we can be misfouled the best. And like the Gemara Brachas over there says also, that's where there's Ashras Ashrina. The Shrina is in Shul. Elikim Nitsa Vadas Kel. Again, that Lashon of Kel. The Rabbi stands in an, in an Adas Kel where there's a congregation. That's where you're going to find the Rabbi Shalom. The reason why we go to Shul to Daven is presumably to get closer to the Rabbi Shalom, to be able to communicate with the Rabbi Shalom. Where do you go to communicate? Where the Rabbi Shalom is? That's where I want to communicate with him. So it comes out that a Shul, and a Bismarck for that matter, is where the Rabbi Shalom is. And the Gemara Darshan is that because it's a Makkah Rina. Because this is a makam of Shira, that's why we go to Davinir, because the Rabbi is Master Shina through the vehicle of Shira. When we sing songs then we are able to be Master the Shina. The Shina comes with the songs. And when we sing, we're able to be Master the Shina. And it's a chain reaction. <coughs> One thing leads to another, we're able to get to very high levels of Ruchnias through Shira. Because the Shrina is here, and we know that the Beisach Nesses of Mikdash Ma'at, the Messiah that we have from Az Yashir to the Zatayli Dan which is the Beisach Mikdash, is really here today as well. It's just in the form of a shul or a base Medrash. It's called the Mikdash Ma'at. I saw a bar for a pinkus, you know, we call a shul or a, or a yeshiva a Mikdash Ma'at. 
So what do you think that means? And then, you know, it's like a, it's not the Beis HaMikdash, but it's like a little piece of the Beis HaMikdash, Kaviyachal. It's like, it's just a little, it's a Mikdash mod, it's like a, you know, a little replica, but it's not, of course, the Beis HaMikdash. So he says a great mushal. Rapinkas is, is always mamish on the money. He's always there. If you ever want a great bar, just go to Rapinkas. He says like this. He says, you know, in the olden days, there was tapes, right? Before the CD, before the advent of the, of the, of a, of a CD, you had tapes, right? When you were growing up, I think some of you might remember there was something called a tape. My father, can I know, is, is here, and you know, he doesn't want to get rid of his car. He has like a car from 1992 because he has like a, a thousand of it grand tapes and he wants to listen to it. And you can't buy a car anymore that has a tape deck in it, so he keeps his old car. There's, some, there's such a thing called a tape. And before the tape, there was something called a, um, an 8-track tape. That's way before your time. It's even before my time. It was, but it's the si- it's like the size of a video tape, which you also don't know what it is. But anyway, uh, like uh, you know, it's, it was a huge mama of a, of a, of a tape. It's called it was called an eight track. It was very very big. It was mama like the size of a safer, and that was what the tape was before. So Rapinka says you think that it means that you know how did they make the tape from an 8-track they probably you think they took a sledgehammer and they cut the 8-track in half or in a quarter and that's what the tape is they took whatever was in an 8-track and they were able to shrink it down to make it into the size of a tape but everything that was in the 8-track is in the tape it's not a quarter of, a, of an 8-track it's, it's an 8-track just it was shrunken down to make it you know more more functional and Rapinka says, that's what a Mikdash Mat is. When we're talking about the Besak Nesses, we think, ah, come on, it's not the Besak Mikdash, it's Besak Mikdash. We have, like, you know, Nebuch, we have whatever is remaining from, you know, the olden days, that's why we call it a Mikdash Mat. No, no. He says, this is a Besak Mikdash here. Believe it or not, we are in a Besak Mikdash. It's just that the Rabbanisham, after the Churban, took the big Besak Mikdash and sort of shrunk it down and made it into a Mikdash Ma'at. But we didn't really lose anything, in theory, from a great base on Mikdash to a little base on Mikdash. It's just shrunken down. It's just, it's just more compact, but it's all here. And when a person comes to a shul or a yeshiva or a smedish and recognizes that he's coming here for an experience of the Rina Sham that this is a makam of shira. What does it mean, shira? Shira doesn't mean just some song. It means a place that you're able to identify the rabbi Yisrael. The shrina is here. How do I get to him? How do I feel him? Shira. Shira is the way that we're able to feel the rabbi Yisrael. And that's the din of tefillah. Tefillah is being able to relate to the rabbi Yisrael, being able to communicate, being able to sense him. First, we have to understand that this is a makim mikdash, and this is a makim that we should be experiencing the rabbi and b'chosh through shira, in every form of shira. And then, once we realize that, then we're able to daven. We know that there is a halacha that it's also l'daber b'shas You're not allowed to talk during davening. Why not? What's the big deal? I talk about shmuz of my neighbor. No one, let's say I'm not disturbing other people's dominance. What's the big deal? Why am I, what's the problem? The problem is that where you're, when you're 
in a makam of shira, shira has to be purple. We're not coming. If, you're, if your attitude is, I'm coming to daven just to daven up a davening, and to, like, you know, you go to a gas station, you fill up your car with gas, and you go to shul in order to, you know, be yaitzit tzibor, tzibor, then it's understandable why you don't understand what's the big deal when somebody's cell phone starts ringing, or when somebody's schmoozing, or when people are congregating in the shul during davening, and it's not a big deal, because just daven, what are, you know, who's that? But if you look at a makim of a Beisachness, this is a place that it's supposed to have an atmosphere of shiro. It's supposed to be a hall in which you're able to get close to Rabbi through the davening and be able to experience the divine, be able to have a chush in the Rabbi being able to communicate and to, then you'll understand that if somebody's cell phone goes off, that's breaking the shira. The shira is now dead. You've ruined any, if there was that experience beforehand, when that happens, it's finished. You've now effectively ruined the entire atmosphere and the Shina is gone. Shina is only Shaira in a place that there is Ruchnias, that there is Hasagas, that there is a place that you're able to actually feel like you're connecting with the Rebbeinu But somebody schmoozing, it breaks up the whole decorum, it stops the Shira, and now we can't doubt it anymore. You've just ruined the whole battle. Might as well all go home. Now, if you think that I'm crazy, which I might be besides that, but this is, I'm going to bring you Exhibit A, that I have a riot to what I'm saying, and I'm not going to bring you a riot from Abu Dram, and I'm not going to bring you a riot from Rukhayim, I'm going to bring you a riot to what I'm saying from the New York Times. And not the New York Times from 1885, but from two weeks ago. So it's a very current year. The shmuz is very... No one ever say that I'm outdated. I'm mamish trying to be very, very current. Okay? This is an article that was written on January 29th, 2012. It's not even a week. It's not even three days. Wow, that's really current. Okay. It sounds like this. No, actually, I printed it on that day. It's January 11th. Okay. So, okay. This is the, the title of this article um, is New York Philharmonic Interrupted by Chimes Mahler Never Intended. Okay, what does that mean? There's a, there's a famous musician, apparently, who wrote classical music by the name of Mahler, M-A-H-L-E-R. And he wrote a symphony called the Ninth Symphony. It's called Mahler's Ninth Symphony. The end of Mahler's Ninth Symphony contains some of the most spiritual and peaceful music ever written. So when a cell phone began ringing, and ringing, ringing, ringing without cease, during a performance by the New York Philharmonic on Tuesday evening, Alan Gilbert, who was the conductor, did something conductors virtually never do. He stopped the performance. Anyway, and then it goes through, it tells the whole nicely exactly what happened. The person... There was a person in the front row that he was actually a patron. He wasn't Stama Schlock. He was a guy who gave a lot of money to this New York Philharmonic. He was a big, a big nodman to them, and he got the front row seat because of that. He just got a new iPhone that day, and he, he thought that it was off, but it was really on alarm mode. Anyway, it went off right in the middle of the most dramatic point in this music of Mahler's Ninth Symphony. And the conductor, normally, you know, you might be irritated, but you don't stop a concert. There's a thousand people coming, you know, spending good money to hear a concert. You don't stop because the show must go on. 
But this conductor, Alan Gilbert, he couldn't be it. He just it kept ringing, it didn't stop, and he just did what very few conductors would have the guts to do, even though they may want to do it. He stopped it. He said, there's no con- until that guy gets his rotten phone out of the building, I'm not continuing with this concert. People start in the hall, skipping a little bit, had been shouting for the sound to stop. One person in the audience reported that they yelled, thousand dollar fine, kick him out, get out. Another blogger who was present wrote, they wanted blood. They wanted blood. says, ringing cell phones are a common scourge of live performances, and indeed, most musicians soldier on. Usually, it's not Mahler 9 you're playing, Mr. Gilbert said, and usually, it's not the most emotionally raw part of Mahler 9, and usually, people deal with it. There's another article that was written um, a day later that both Mr. Gilbert and this patron who was busted with a cell phone, they had something positive, they found something positive from this episode. It shows how important people still feel live performance is, Mr. Gilbert said. This is something people either consciously or implicitly recognize as sacred. That's his lotion. The patron agreed. The incident underscored the very enduring and important bond between the audience and the performers, he said, adding, if it's disturbed in any significant way, it just shows how precious this whole union is. This, when I heard this, and when I read this, I was mamish, I, I said, first I said, this has got to be a schmooze. But it's also, it's such an important sight. If anyone just looks at it as a regular story, they are missing everything. This is something which is mamish, it cuts to the core of our davening. If our davening is really a shira, as we are saying that it is, as Chazal say it is, Makim Rina, it's a Rina, it's a symphony, it's supposed to be sacred, it's supposed to be emotionally charged. It shouldn't be. The problem with us is, and not all of us, but some of us, and maybe myself included, is that when we come to davening, we're not really into it enough. We're not feeling the rhythm of the shira, of the rena of the davening. There are places that you go in the world, and I'm sure you've all been there, and if you haven't, you should be there, that you feel it. The, there's just a certain ambiance in the room that everybody's davening, and sometimes they're davening loud, and sometimes they're davening with a hysteronimus, and with a hispilus, and they feel it, and they breathe it, and when you walk in, if you would, if your cell phone would go off in the middle of such a davening, they would want blood, and they would scream a thousand dollar fine. The reason why by us it's not so big deal is because davening is not such a big deal. If davening would be a shira, if we would appreciate how sacred it is, if we would be into the experience, if it would be like we're in a bubble in this room while we're davening, and we're mamish communicating with our bishop, and we're singing, and we're loud, and we're, and we're emotionally charged, and everything is, there's a, a direct contact between us and our bishop, and we feel the rena, and we feel the tefillah, as it's designed to be, as a mikdash ma'at, with shira, with Kedusha, then it would disturb us greatly if a cell phone would go off and if people would be davening, if people would be schmoozing during davening. 
it doesn't bother us because we're not really so into davening anyway. So we feel like, who are we to like to shush the guy? Because like, well, I'm the big tzaddik. I'm not feeling much better myself in davening. But if it would be an atmosphere of shira, if it would be an atmosphere of rina, if it would be a place that you come and you feel the davening, and you feel like when you walk out, you feel like, wow, that was a davening. When was the last time we walked out of the chakras? And the Eli know we have. In the Eli, you know, you come out and you feel like, wow, that was that was like an experience that I'll never forget. But the regular davening on a Monday, on a Wednesday, on a Friday, when was the last time? Ask yourself, when was the last time that I finished davening, I wrapped up my phone and said, wow, that was a davening. I feel like, mamish, I communicated with the rabbinic show. Very rarely, if ever. But that's not the way Shira, that's not what, the way Tzfilah is designed to be. Tzfilah is supposed to be that concert hall, Lahavdo. It's supposed to be a place that you are, it's sacred, you feel Kedusha, you feel like you are communicating with the Rebbeinah you feel this, that's what Tzfilah is, it's an Avedish of a lave, it's, a, it's an Avedish that's supposed to make the lave beat a little faster and a little harder and a little more profoundly. And if it doesn't, that's a chisarin in us. It's a chisarin in, in maybe in our hafana for tefillah, in our, in our kavana to tefillah, maybe in the way that we're davening, in the speed of our tefillahs perhaps. We could chalk it up to a lot of things, but at the end of the day, this is what it should be. It should be lahavda like Mahler's Ninth Symphony. We should feel, I'm coming in, I'm prepared for an experience, which is what people come to the to the Philharmonic Orchestra to get that shira, to get that instrument from, and I'm getting it. And if somebody dares go off with a cell phone or shmoos during davening, which ensures we know that it's rampant, but the disturbing thing is that sometimes even in our yeshiva, very rarely, and most of the time it takes place on the periphery of the Beis Medrash, but it happens. And around my table, Baruch Hashem, I don't, but I see people talking and I know because people come over to me and they tell me that they're shared by this thing. It bothers them. It ruins their davening when there are people around that are talking. So you're not just ruining your own davening. You're ruining people all in your radius of davening. Davening should be like this beautiful experience that we get elevated from, that we're lifted up together with. And that when something interrupts it, if it's talk, if it's a cell phone, if it's something stupid, whatever it is, it's, it should be very upsetting for us because it's destroyed the entire ambiance of the experience and the ability that we have to communicate closely with the Rebbeinu Shalom. And I think that just like the conductor stops the, the whole orchestra when he hears this experience has been severed, this relationship has been broken, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rebbeinu Shalom, if he comes into a shul and sees people talking, he's also out of here. What do I need this for? This is not what I had in mind. There was a famous crusade, or not a crusade, but a pogrom. Not just one, but it lasted for, for two years. In the years Tachvatat, which is in 1648 and 1649, hundreds of thousands of Jews were like abused and killed and hurt and maimed and terrible things were happening to the Yidden. And in the aftermath, the Tesis Yantif, he asked in a dream, why did this happen to us? 
Why did these events occur to Klai Yisrael? Why did we do to deserve it? And the answer was that the Yidin were speaking during davening. People were talking during davening, and that's why these terrible things befell Klai Yisrael. And the Taisus Yantid made a special tefillah. He instituted a Meshaverah for those people that are shaymer, people who shaymer, miladabra beisat When you're davening, you deserve, if you're quiet, a special offense, a special bracha, because if you don't do that, it's mamish, it's a terrible thing. If you're not quiet, then you're bringing terrible, untold calamities onto call yourself. The Imriyamas says something that only the Imriyamas could say, and if anyone else would say it, you would probably have to, you know, do something physical to him. But the Imriyamas has the, has the places, he has the shoulders to say it. The Imriyamas says that the reason why, I saw it the two different sides. I'm going to say it in a more toned down version, because the other one is very, very unsettling. But he says like this, that the reason why the Svardim, why was it that the Svardim basically, for the most part, escaped the Holocaust, the Xera of the Holocaust, unscathed? Svardim were not really touched. The, the, the Nazis, even though they they could have and they and perhaps they wanted, they did want to invade, you know, those countries that the Svardim were in, but they didn't get to them in time, and therefore the Svardish didn't basically didn't get affected by the Holocaust like the Ashkenazim did. Maybe there were certain countries that they did, but for the most part, Sfardim escaped. Why? Zokdim Rehemes, because Sfardim have a sense of decorum in their Batek Nesias. They don't talk during davening. I've seen, I'll say the other side of the story, I mean, and obviously, Michal, you know, Lavat Hashemahin, there are Gersites that say that the Imamists said, and this is obvious, this is the third rail, you don't want to exactly ever try to divine why the Holocaust did happen. It's not, it's too big of an event to at all, you know, touch and to, and to say why it happened. But there are Gersites that said the Imamists said that the reason why Ashkenazic jury were so plagued, were so decimated in the Holocaust, had something to do with the fact that we were not so nizar, miladaber, the Magen Avram says something fascinating. The Magen Avram says that sometimes you find that there are shuls that are converted into churches. And you wonder why. If you ever drive from, let's say, Queens to Brooklyn, you take the Jackie, the Jackie Robinson, you'll drive through an area called Brownsville. But that's a different story. It's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it, but it used to be, it used to be in Irvine Bissau. Chaim Berlin used to be in Brownsville. It used to be in, it used to be in Brownsville. Chaim Berlin and many great shuls were in Brownsville. And the question, and if you drive through this neighborhood, you'll see, you'll see something unbelievable. And it's tragic. You, you know, you sort of get used to, like, you get used to everything. There are mugging dubbits on every, every church. You'll, if you look carefully, you'll see how there are mugging dubbits there. You'll see how there's, there's, there's all types of, uh, on the balconies, on the banisters, there are, there are different inscriptions. It, they were all shuls. All of the churches and brownsville, and there, there are dozens of them. Every block you drive on is another church. The reason 
that they were converted from a, a shul into a church. They were all shuls. They're now they're churches. Why? Because people in those shuls talk during davening. That's a very, very dramatic thing to happen to a shul. The other Chazal say the shul burned down. But for it to change into a church, for it to go from a makam of Kedusha, from a makam of Rina, into a church, how does such a thing happen? And I think I have a pshat. And it's a pshat that, it's again, something that I wouldn't say on my own, but Baruch Hashem, I have a Rav Yenis and Eidoshitz that says it. He says it on a different pasuk in our parasha. The pasuk says in our parasha, Hashem yilochem lochem ba'atem tacharishon. The Rabbanu Shem will fight your battle. This is right before they were about to go through the Yam and Klaish or were nervous. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to Klaish, oh, don't be nervous. Hashem yilochem lochem. Hashem will fight for you. Ba'atem tacharishon. You have to just be quiet. So you know what Rabbanu Sinaibashit says? He says a murder of art. Rabbanu Sinaibashit says, that there is a lot of kitchard that the Sultan has against Palyasa, a lot of things to throw our way and to say and to blame us for, and a lot of the things the Rabbi Shalom defends us with. He defends us right and left because we're in a long Gaulus. We haven't really seen the Beis in so long, but we are, there's something to defend us with a lot of the things that we do. But, and why? Because if the Umasail, if the Gayim were in Dallas for as long as we were, they'd be much worse than us. But he says that there's one thing, there's one kitchen that the Sutton has that it's really very hard, it's impossible to find any defense for. And that is, why is it that Jews in their shuls have no decorum? We schmooze and we talk and we tell jokes and we speak about our business and the stock market. Everything happens in shul. But when Goyim Davin, <coughs> they show Nimus in their shuls. In their church, I've never been to a church, but what the Rabbianis and Ibershitz is saying, at least the Shaitai, and I assume it's still true today. When the Gaians sit in their churches, they are quiet. They don't schmooze. They don't talk. They have respect. They have a certain sense of that they're in a holy place. And when they're davening, whatever they're davening, they have, there's a connection there. I once was in a, in a taxi cab in Eretz Yisrael, and the cab driver was a Friday. And I remember it was... I was anyway. This taxi driver was an Arab. You don't normally take a taxi with an Arab, but I didn't hop until I was in the car. Okay, and he was all drenched. I had just come out of the hotel, so I didn't really know what the weather was outside. He went straight into the taxi, and he was drenched, mamish, from his head to his toes, the shvitz. And I, I said to him, you know, in Hebrew, I said, "Oh, was it raining? You got caught in the rain?" He says, "No." I said, "So why are you all wet?" He says, I just came from davening. I just came from our prayers. He says, by our prayers, we, 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 we do it with our whole gulp, with our whole neshama, and we mean it, and we schwitz. And I said to myself, Rabbi when was the last time that I schwitz during davening? When was the last time that davening did something to me to make me schwitz? 
Ooh. Blood. What? What? So. When was the last time? And that's what, that's basically what the aside is when it comes to davening. When it comes to churches, churches of Abdel, whatever you want to say, there was a great rebel that once said, I don't remember where it was, but he said a very true bar. He says that Jews, sounds better in Yiddish, but I'll say it in English. He says Jews worship the emes, but with the sheker. We worship Emmet. We have the Rabbi Hashem. We have the true Rabbi Hashem. We, we're worshiping Emmet. But the way that we worship is with Shekhar. We're not really sincere when we're worshiping him. Goyim, they worship Shekhar of Emmet. They worship Shekhar. Their Geshkis are Shekhar. Their Mamash Alilam, it's a fake and it's a fraud, whether it's Christianity or whether it's Islam or whatever it is, whatever they're worshipping, it's all, it's either an Alikim Acherim or it's, or, or it's, a, it's Shekhar in, in their Nevios. But whatever it is, they're worshipping Shekhar, you know what they do with an Emes. When they're worshipping their Shekhar, it's an Emes, they, they mean it. They mean it sincerely. Say what you want about them, but they're doing it with a, with a sincerity. When they go into their church, they don't have to go to church. There's no Shulchan Aruch that they have that says they have to go. But when they go to church, they mean it. They mean it and they want to connect and they're singing and they're, and they're, and they're connecting and they're getting into it. So I'm sure you go in the Mamish like, yeah, we're here. You know, they're, they're into it. We have the Emmets. We have the true God, but we worship Him not always genuinely. Our motives and our conduct and our whole surah is not appropriate. It's grossly wrong how we worship the Rabbi Yisraelim. And I believe that's the challenge of Makin Avram. And by the way, that's what the Rabbi Yisraelim Abishad says. That's what Hashem Yilachim Lachem Hashem says. I'm going to try my best to defend you as I always do. I'll fight for you, says Rabbi Yisraelim Pass. You have to do me one favor. You have to be quiet by davening. Because if you're not quiet by davening, I can't, I can try my hardest, but it's impossible. You're making it so impossible because the deck is so stacked against you because the guy are so good at this and you're so bad. And I think that's what the Rabbi Shop is sending us a message, says the Magin Avram. If you talk during davening in your shul, they'll turn into churches. You know why? Because that's the Midah Kinegah Midah. The Goyim have to teach us Jews how to, how to conduct ourselves in a place of worship. Go into their church now and see how they're talking. They're not. We were, they're not. And that's why we lost it to them. The Beis HaMikdash was a place that never, ever would such a thing happen that a Yid would talk in the Beis HaMikdash. They would throw him out. And it wouldn't even happen because who would have the chutzpah? You see the Ashra Sashrina, you see the Ara, you see the Menaira, you see the Mizbeach, you see the Levim, the Duchanim, the Kayanim Avayasam, the Israel Ma'amadam. Who would dare utter a word in the presence of such a Shira, of such a Kedusha, of such a Israel You wouldn't, you couldn't. We have a base Nessus, which is a Mikdash Ma'ad, like Rapinkas says, it's Mamish, it's a little base Mikdash. 
and yet we find it so easy to abuse, to come in and talk. The Svarim say, the Paiskim say, if you're going to come to Davin and to Shmuz, stay home. Nobody asked you to be here. Nobody asked you to come. If you can't control your mouth, then don't come. Because if you're going to come and share davening, then it's the worst avla that you could do. You're ruining the shiro. You're stopping the symphony. You're interrupting and you're severing the connection that we're supposed to be making with our bainsham. It's hard and it's close to impossible, even with a perfect atmosphere. But when people are shuzing, it makes it so impossible. It makes it so disdainful. You don't even want to come to davening. A couple of weeks ago during the intercession, I went to a shul and I took my shleimah over there. We were sitting on a table, you know, it wasn't pews, it was tables. And there were two men that should know better. And from the beginning of davening until the end, they were talking. And I gave them dirty looks and it didn't help. It just made them want to talk even more for some reason. And Shlomo was looking at me like, you know, you know, it was impossible Pasha to daven. I'm not saying that I'm the, the world's greatest davener. But it made it impossible just Pasha to say the words because they were talking so loud and topics that were so inappropriate in general on Shabbos and Ashul. So I picked Shleimer up and myself and we went to another table. I don't think they could care less. I mean, like, you'd think that that would make a rush and I was afraid of maybe being about them. It didn't even enter their... They were so busy talking and the talking continued through Laning and through Musa and through Adam's Miris and through the Gansa. From beginning to end, I had no idea why they came to Shul except to talk. And sometimes you have shuls with signs on them that say, if you come to shul to talk, where do you go to daven? Where do you go to daven? I mean, we need some place to daven. I think that's all agreed. We, ne- we need to connect with everybody. There's enough sorrows in our dar that we need a place to come to daven. But if everybody's coming to talk, so then where do we go to daven? Now again, a lot of this is misplaced because, you know, this isn't a shul, but it's the yeshiva. And yeshiva is a place that people come expecting to have perfect radio silence. There should be nothing going on in shul, in, in yeshiva. In shul, you know, some shuls are better, some are worse. Some of them, they sign petitions and they, you know, and they, 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 they're, and to the, to the ta'elis and to the, to the credit of the dar, people really are trying to work on this Indian of being quiet during davening, making, making davening a more special experience. But in yeshiva, yeshiva is the one last vestige of the world that people should be able to come when they want perfect silence, when they want an experience of davening as it should be. And when we have a davening and people are talking in yeshiva, it's very, very, it's so wrong. It so shatters the whole experience and the whole mahus of the yeshiva. It's so not appropriate that we have to stop it. We have to stop it out. We have to make sure that if somebody is talking, you go over to that person very politely. Don't, we're not looking to embarrass anybody. Or maybe it's after diving when there aren't a lot of people say, listen, you know, I really want, I, I, I know that, you know, you have a lot to say and I know you're a very smart person, but it can't be during davening because it's hurting my davening. It's hurting my davening. I can't daven. I came to Yeshiva to daven. I don't want to have to keep moving my seat. I want to daven where my makim kabul is, but you're making it so hard for me. Bimakim, rina, sham, tefillah. The tefillah must be in an experience of shira, of coming close, of being able to say, Zek, keli, v'anayu. I can feel the Rabbi Nishlam. I know that there's a Rabbi Nishlam. How? I went to shul. I went to yeshiva. I felt him. But davening 
has to be pristine, it has to be with the quorum, it has to be with a covet, and with an amon, with a yira. And if we are guilty of talking during davening, we have to change. And of course, I always have to say, and this is my one you say, that I always, you know, I'm guilty of repeating over and over again, that I ask mechilo, because as I look around the room, I know that no one in this room is guilty of what I'm talking about. The problem is that the... Now people are looking around to make sure that's true. <laughs> but the problem is, and this is always the frustration of the Mashiach, is that the people who I want to address do not come to the Shmuz. The people that come to the Shmuz could give me the Shmuz. But the people that don't come to the Shmuz are the people that I need to get to, and I can't. I wish I could pipe into the dorms or whatever, the Shmuz. But I'm not a Bashar Eli. I don't have that... Uh, and as you saw, there's somebody gives share to hundreds of people, so they pipe it into the dorms, into different classrooms, or whatever. I don't have that kayak yet. But, but Laman Hashem, if you could encourage the people, first of all, to come to the Shmuz. It's very hurtful. In Baruch Hashem, today we have a big island, and I'm sure it's because the Manal's words helped a little bit. But you know what? He said something that was very draconian. That, I wouldn't have said it that way. He said, you know, your, your grades are going to suffer, and this is going to suffer. That's not the point. Even if your grades stay exactly the same, if you want to be part of yeshiva, if you want to be nimna with the tzibar of the yeshiva, you have to come on Fridays. Not because you're going to get punished. We're not three-year-olds. It's because part of yeshiva is Friday. If we're going to have a four-day-a-week yeshiva, then that's not what Beis Medjel Talmud is. Beis Medjel Talmud prides itself on being a seven-day-a-week yeshiva, like a regular yeshiva, like Philly and like Baltimore. and like, you know, yes, we have a college. But that doesn't capture us from Limanat Federa, doesn't capture us from keeping whatever tzura of the yeshiva we could have, have. And so when people think that Friday is bound, I know in Eretz Yisrael, Friday is not a day. But this is not Eretz Yisrael. This is the way we were, Kaiveya, this yeshiva. Friday is, believe it or not, a regular day. There's a mitzvah tamatay on Friday as well. And if you have ten kids and you have to do shopping and your wife is a wreck because, you know, she doesn't have time to make a fun, then maybe you'll have a tour from coming to Fridays and from coming to the Shmuz. But short of that, it's not a day that we could take off because Toshit, it's not a day that we could take off. It's a day that there's Seder and there's a Shmuz and you're expected to be by both of them. And you know what? It's not just for my sake. I'm not just darshing my own covet. I'm darshing your covet because a lot of these Seder set up, maybe forgive the messenger. Maybe the messenger is not, is not perfect to deliver the message. But the message is pretty good. And the message are Yisaydas, in Yadas, in Tefillah, in Taira, in Midas, in Ashkafa. All of this is what you'll get from coming to the Shmuz. And again, it's something that I'm sure you could hear on tape from other people. And you could, but if you're in this yeshiva, this is what Talmidim of this yeshiva are used to. And this is what many Talmidim have grown from. And so I love the fact that you come on Friday, but you should know that you're coming not because of any other reason than because this is what our yeshiva is. It's part of the yeshiva. You wouldn't miss Shira on Monday, and you wouldn't miss Shira on Thursday. You can't miss the Shmuz on Friday, and you can't miss Seder on Friday. It's something that, not forget Yehar Yava, without all the threats. It's something that we should want to do. It's something we should gain from. And in Hashem, we should take the Yisaitis that we gain from these Fridays. These are the moments that we will remember years to come because it will make an indelible impact, or it should hopefully, on our lives, on our marriages, on our children, on our chinuch, on our, our tamatayra, on our tefillah, on everything. 
Let's try to be mechazik our Taira, our Fridays, our Tfilah. Let's try to make sure that we are more makbid about this. And in this session, we should go forward with the newest chazkos, with the newest phylos.